Welcome to the Eat Local Central New York podcast. In this episode, sitting down talking with local restaurant owner Eric Alderman. I got this feeling, and I really loved the feeling that people loved the feeling we created for them hmm. of, of walking in. And I was uh, still practicing law back then, and it got to be too much for me. And I, 2006, closed everything down hmm. and said, when I retire, when I'm able to focus all of my attention on this, hmm. I'll come back to it because it's what I love the most. Mm-hmm. And so in uh, 2016, when I knew I was close to retiring from what I was then doing, um, I started planning to reopen it. I had such a great time sitting down talking with Eric today. Can't thank him enough for coming down on an early Saturday morning and spending time with me talking about what it's like to run a restaurant here in Syracuse and his views on hospitality and welcoming guests in and having customers come in and feel welcomed and having such a great experience in his bakery and his restaurant. Yesterday I was at the Market Diner uh, taking pictures. If you don't know, part of Eat Local Central New York is Also, running the social media accounts and marketing for more than a few restaurants here in the area. And the Market Diner is uh, one of them that I've worked with Tony over there. Tony is the owner of the Market Diner. I've worked with him for over three years. He was one of my first clients. And I've been so fortunate to work for such a great restaurant owner here in Syracuse uh, for such a long time. So yesterday I was over there taking some pictures for some new menu items. And I was taking pictures. The restaurant was packed. They were slammed. It was just before lunch. All of a sudden, the door opened, and in walks this man that was obviously homeless, sat down right at the counter, slapped down four quarters, and asked for a cup of coffee. And the waitress got him his coffee and set down a bill for a dollar for the cup of coffee. And as I was sitting there taking pictures, a couple minutes passed, and I watched as Tony, the owner of the diner, walked over to the this man at the counter and said, Sir... I've got your cup of coffee today. Don't worry about it. He said, is there anything? Can I get you anything to eat? We just had this clam chowder I just made. I'm gonna, If you'd like it, I'm going to bring a bowl over to you. And the guy said, yeah, that would be great. And so Tony goes over and got this huge bowl of hot clam chowder and set it down. And as I was finishing up my pictures, one of the dishes I was taking pictures of was their Reuben. Now, their Reuben, is, they're just known for. It's the best Reuben sandwich you're going to have in Syracuse, hands down. And so as I was done taking the pictures of that item, Tony grabbed the plate and walked over and said, you you know, if you're still hungry, here's this sandwich. It's one of the best on our menu and gave it to the guy. And it may not seem like that big of a deal to you. To me, it was huge. Um, We have an issue with poverty and homelessness here in Syracuse, and that's nothing new, unfortunately. We have some great organizations and charities that are helping as many out as they can, like in my father's kitchen, who we donate to. You have so many other organizations out there doing such great work. And there's so many restaurants that donate regularly food to help those in need. Paul over at Glazed and Confused donates dozens upon dozens of donuts to organizations and charities that need it. You have organizations I don't know much about, but I believe it's called uh, If If We Eat, They Eat. Uh, going out and feeding people that are hungry and in need. You have restaurants like Franco's Pizzeria over on East Genesee Street who has their uh, pay-it-forward pizza wall where you can go in for a dollar, you buy a slice of cheese pizza, uh, and they give you a sticky note, and you can write an encouraging message on it and stick it on their bulletin board, and then somebody who's in need can come in and 
pull off a sticky note and redeem it for a slice of cheese pizza. You have Salt City Coffee who has their similar thing that they do with cups of coffee and other items. And listen, there's restaurants that do great work to help those in need and to help the homeless population here in Syracuse. And it's such a huge shout out to all those. And if there's more, forgive me that I don't know about them. But I've also seen in restaurants, and it's understandable. I get it. I'm not knocking anybody for this. But I've seen in restaurants where people who are homeless have come in and the first thing that happens is they ask them to leave. I understand it. I'm not saying that, you know, shame on them or anything like that. I'm just saying that I've seen that happen and it's an easy reaction to have. I'm just saying that to see a local restaurant owner when somebody who was in need came in and sat down and he was a, was a busy, busy restaurant. It was just before lunch at a diner. So it's arguably one of the busiest times of the day for a diner to see the owner take time and go over and not only say, that's okay, we're going to buy your cup of coffee, but then to give him food that they had, it was just such an amazing thing to see. I don't think Tony's listening to the podcast. Uh, I'm sure that he's embarrassed by me uh, saying this, but I just, I wanted you to know that. I wanted you to know that when you support locally owned restaurants, that you're helping them do things like this. And I know that from now on, when I go there, I'll be more than happy and proud to spend as much money as I can at the diner knowing that I'm helping a local restaurant take care of somebody in need. If you have time, if you've never been, if you go regularly, whatever the case is, do me a favor and head down to the Market Diner for breakfast or lunch or dinner, whatever the case is. Just go and spend a dollar there and know that you're helping them take care of those that are in need when they come in. I want to tell you about a very special event we have coming up April 10th. That's a Wednesday night at 6 p.m. It's at the In-Between Restaurant out in Camillus. If you've never been there, this is going to be such a great opportunity for you because they're putting together a very special menu for us. It's going to be $25 a person for this delicious dinner with Chris Sesta, who is a multiple award-winning chef. He's owned the in-between restaurant for a number of years. It's a gorgeous, gorgeous restaurant. It's a staple in the culinary scene here in central New York. And we contacted them and said that we wanted to have this dinner out there. And he was gracious enough to offer us this special menu just for Eat Local Central New York followers. So make sure that you call the restaurant and make your reservation April 10th at 6 p.m. Or head over to Facebook Search Eat Local CNY and check out our event page because we're going to have all the details listed there. But we need to pack this restaurant out and just show a local restaurant some love. April 10th at 6 p.m. Really just going to be a special, special time. You don't want to miss it. So make sure that you put on your calendar, make plans to attend. If you like going out to dinner and for free, you don't want to miss this announcement. We have this huge contest coming up throughout the entire month of April where one lucky person is going to win $600 worth of gift cards and certificates to 30 different restaurants all around Syracuse, from Toss and Fire Pizza in North Syracuse to Strong Hearts right here in Syracuse, Dolce Vita, Amano. We've got places in Baldwinsville like The Chef and the Cook and Angry Garlic, and you just don't want to miss out on this contest. Here's how it works. When you go to eatlocalcny.com and purchase your Eat Local CNY card for $20, you get entered to win. Every card you purchase is a different entry. So if you want to buy multiple cards, buy multiple cards. Just going to increase your chances to win this contest. On May 1st, we're going to choose one random person 
to win this amazing, amazing package of gift cards. Again, it's 30 $20 gift cards to 30 different restaurants. You don't want to miss it. It's a $600 value. I like to think of it, it's going to be dinner for a month. It's covered. Every night of one entire month, you can go out to eat and not have to worry about paying your bill. It's just this fun idea we had. I'm really excited for it. I cannot wait to pick the winner on May 1st. But you got to head over to eatlocalcny.com and buy your Eat Local CMY card to be entered to win. Well, without further ado, here is the conversation between myself and Eric Alderman. My favorite bagels in the world are in West Nyack. Really? Yeah. Which one? New York hot bagels. Okay, same here. Do you know it? Yeah, of course. Best, I think they're the best bagels I've ever had. Without a doubt. We were just down there. I will go out of my way. If any time yeah. I'm in that area, I will go out of my way. I'll buy three or four dozen. Yeah. That's exactly what my father just did that. We went on Monday to breakfast for his birthday, the whole family, and we were going back to my brother's house, and mom and dad were right behind us, and then they turned somewhere, and everybody said, where did they go? And 20 minutes later, they showed yeah, up I mean, with a bag of Yeah, it's a hole in the wall that you wouldn't know about right. unless you were there. And, it, you know, the, what most people don't know is the Greeks are great bakers. They're, I mean, it's yeah. owned by a Greek family. Yeah. At least it was when I was there. And um, they, they have a great baking tradition. Hmm. It's not just the French and the Italians. Um, so, yeah, yeah, I miss the bagels. Yeah, it really is great. You know, it's just uh, I was saying when we were down there that because my brother Gabe, who lives in uh, Congers in Rockland County, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, he's heading everything up down there. I went down there Saturday and we went to four restaurants and just did photo shoot for them for their menu and made some videos for them. And I was telling him I've never been treated uh, as well from a restaurant here as I was down there, which really? I, I wasn't expecting. Because um, I don't think the Rocklanders are that nice Yeah, and as, I, a, as a population. Right. And I wasn't expecting to be treated. You know, I expected... Um, what are you doing again? You know, you want us to make you free food to take pick, you know, things like that. But, uh, this first restaurant that we went to, um, owned by this husband and wife team who had the thickest Bronx accent you've ever heard. Uh, you know, the husband pronounced chef, chef. And so just kind of your stereotypical New York things. And every 10 minutes, cause we were there for about an hour and a half doing our, uh, photos and, and videos and Every 10 minutes, kept checking in on us. Do you need anything? Are you hungry? Do you want nice. anything to drink? You know, so. Old school. Yeah. And that was at multiple restaurants that's, that we went to. That's old. It's just a matter of old school. It's a matter of understanding something that is disappearing very quickly mm -hmm. in the world, but it's certainly in this country. Yeah. Uh, where did you grow up? Did you grow up in this area? I grew up in the city of Syracuse. Um, I went to... Charles Andrews Elementary School. I went to the first middle school in upstate New York, H.W. Uh, Smith. Uh, and then I was scheduled to go to Nottingham, but my folks moved to a new house, one house over the city DeWitt line. Mm -hmm. So I ended up going to J.D. for high school. So I've been here uh, except for my four years in Philadelphia in college, uh, about nine months in New York City. Uh, I've been here all my life, out of choice, because I love it here. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a, 
I'm sure it's the case in all generations, but especially for my age group, I see so many people I went to high school with who left, went away. I hate Syracuse. It's awful here and quickly came right back. Well, there is there, there, you know, I have two daughters, um, they're, uh, um, one of whom lives in L.A. and one of whom lives in uh, Manhattan mm-hmm. and works in Manhattan. Um, but it is uh, the great thing about being here all my life, you know, I was born in like 1906, um, <laughs> is that you can see that Syracuse has turned the corner and that it has an environment that's worthy of asking people to come back and making them excited about it. Mm -hmm. And that's a wonderful thing for a lifetime resident to see. Yeah. Yeah. My, um, my parents, same thing, you know, moved away for a number of years and came back and just what happens. Yeah. It's great. I mean, we have, you know, uh, I'm a trustee at the Everson museum and we have a a world-class museum, Mm -hmm. uh, that, you know, we're, uh, people are really, seeing uh, firsthand uh, that does has a great educational program. And w- we now have, what have we seen, 15 or uh, 16 mm-hmm. new food establishments in downtown Syracuse in the last year, year and a half. Yeah. Uh, f- just filled with people trying to do great things. Yes. And uh, in the restaurant industry, that's so important. Uh, when we first talked about what we were going to do with the Stoop Kitchen, all my friends said, no, you can't do that in Syracuse because, you know, Syracusans want to eat pasta and pizza and, um, uh, and, and they're not ready for the kind of menu that you want to have, mm-hmm. but it's changed. I mean, in the last two years, it's the yeah. whole landscape has changed and it's a wonderful change for the better yes i agree with you i've had the pleasure of having uh, cody dedishu on the podcast to think that we have and i keep finding out about out about these people in the restaurant scene in syracuse more and more that are so talented and have such an amazing education and such an amazing outlook on the culinary world um and like you just said, restaurants are popping up that are different than anything we've had before. And one of the greatest things, uh, I'm a great believer in diversity. Um, you know, I've uh, taught, uh, lectured uh, most of my life in one way or another. Um, and diversity has always been a part of, of my vision for communicating. And uh, the the corresponding word where that is inclusivity mm-hmm. and so you see that not only are these chefs talented and creative but they have an awareness mm-hmm. about diversity yeah you know people say oh you know you want to have a menu that uh caters to vegetarian and vegan and gluten-free you know that's just you know it's too much and it's not too much because if you think in terms of diversity and inclusivity, that's not a special menu. It's just the menu the way a menu should be mm-hmm. in a restaurant serving the public. Yeah. And so uh, we see more and more of that awareness in the sh- not only the chefs, but importantly the chefs and the owners in this community. And it's, it's, it's just a great thing. Yeah. 
You know, it's funny that you bring that up because you saying that uh, may, you know, sparks the, que- the question in my head about uh, just hospitality and what that is. And I think in the past when I've thought about a restaurant and even the concepts I've had in my head for restaurants, you think of it as this is your art form. You know, I read a book a number of years ago from a musician, and the story goes that uh, the band was backstage getting ready to perform this show, and they had just released a new album, and they were in Los Angeles, and they were, their set list that night was all of their uh, new songs that they had just written. And their manager came backstage before, right before they went out and said, hey, all the record label executives are here, and they want to make sure that you're going to play this one and this one and this one and they're all the hits from their old you know their old albums and the story goes that the band has this struggle backstage do they play the hits that the record label wants or do they stay true to their art and go out there and play the things that they just wrote and created and ultimately that's what they did they went out and played the new things and the author of the book says that you can't play for the audience. You have to play for yourself. You can't create for your audience. You have to create for yourself and then hope that that what you created resonates with someone. And and that is transferable directly to the restaurant industry. I'll I'll tell you, it's an anecdotal thing. Um, And I'm sure a lot of people in the restaurant industry would, you know, smile. Um, But we had hours of conversation before we added a hamburger to our menu. Um, and we were catering to a very directed audience, not exclusively, but uh, because we started with a 85% locally sourced farm, what's known as farm to table, although I hate that terminology. Um, and we were vegan, vegetarian, gluten-free, mm. and we captured uh, a very loyal market, but in the spectrum of the eating marketplace in Syracuse, that's maybe 10% or less of the guests in Syracuse. Mm -hmm. And so we were serving food that people needed explanation about what we were serving or what was in it, and it was very difficult. So like the musicians who have to survive, uh, in the restaurant business, I think that you have to find some balance mm-hmm. between uh, education about food that people aren't used to, uh, but still allowing people to feel comfortable um, and easy access to what you're doing. Mm-hmm. And it's, um, it's a challenge. Yeah. It's a good challenge. Uh, we love the challenge, but it's, it's there nonetheless. And I think that what's happened, the sort of explosion of new restaurants and um, focused menus uh, and some of the people who are really doing high cuisine, Mm. um, it's been a great experience here. I I hope it continues and I hope it has durability and longevity. I think it will. I think the general public is excited to see different things coming to town. And it it is different because I see my audience for eat local central new york and then i go to a different you know facebook page and see a completely different audience who you know still loves the four pound plate of spaghetti and meatballs for five dollars and by the way there's absolutely nothing wrong with that there is nothing wrong with that i mean (laughs) who who doesn't want to have that 
you know, sometimes <laughs> is a part of your everyday life. But mm. um, it's the issue is, uh, I think, when you have these high cuisine or specialty, more specialty uh, restaurants, will the people eat there often enough? Mm-hmm. It's not whether they like it. It's not whether they'll come. Mm-hmm. But it's not yet, in my opinion, the place where people go every day or every week. And so therein lies the challenge and the issue. You get through your first year, and you've cycled through people trying you, and maybe they've come back two or three times, and maybe they absolutely love you. Mm-hmm. But it takes time to build the kind of clientele, the depth of clientele, where you have that consistency day in and day out mm-hmm. um, once you've been through the run for six months or the first year. Yeah. And, and that's the challenge, in my opinion, in Syracuse, who is just, which is just being introduced to this kind of diversity of eating that's so wonderful. So you're saying that I'm thinking, I, I love, I'm sure you've been to Diffie, but I, I just think that they're one of the best local spots. Uh, uh, they do. They, they're, I think they're doing something not, nobody else is doing. Without a doubt. And uh, they're dedicated mm-hmm. and they're focused. And, um, you know, it's, I'm rooting for them to be as successful as they can humanly possibly be. Yeah. Because there's, there's certainly a place uh, in Syracuse, uh, to have that level of commitment to uh, quality food, interesting food, beautiful food. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, I'm I applaud them every day. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, Cody and I had this conversation. I view him as an artist. He views himself as a craftsman. And maybe that's just because I'm not a chef. Uh, that I view it as, you know, as what he does as this you know, wonderful work of art and not as just some craft that he's there doing every, you know, every day, nine to five, or in his case, uh, six to 12. Right. <laughs> uh, A typical restaurant day. Yeah, exactly. Right. I don't know if I could, I don't know if I would want to, because I thought about reaching out to them and he and I have talked in the past about coming in and, uh, you know, working with like taking pictures for him or whatever the case is. But I don't know, almost know, don't know if I would want to because I feel like the uh, mystery behind what I perceive as this amazing artist, him and Nick over there and their whole team, if that would leave, you know, if it would be, if you just become so, so familiar with it that it stops being extraordinary. Well, you know, in, in this age of social media, so I do most of the, our social media for the Stoop Kitchen and... Um, what is slowly, um, as you know, we're, we're, uh, in the very near future, hopefully opening up, uh, our production bakery for the Stoop Bakery, which is now going to operate under a different name, Mm -hmm. um, and incorporating the bakery cafe into the restaurant. So it's all one thing at the restaurant. But anyway, um, you wonder about, you know, you have these beautiful things that are unique every time somebody makes them who's making unique things. Yeah. And pictures, I don't care how good they are, it's not the same. No. You can't see it, you can't feel it, you can't smell it. And for food, that's so important. Um, 
So it's good to have the occasional pictures so that people have an idea that there is something special there. Mm-hmm. But I agree with you about the issue of demystification. Yeah. Yeah. There are special restaurants that just have that special place. Yeah, like I said, Possibilities is the place that I went on my first date with my now fiance. I don't want to go there uh, except for every year on our anniversary. <laughs> and I want to sit in the same booth. And I don't know if I could go there for lunch and go through the line. Not because it's not amazing food in this great atmosphere, but it just has that place. You know, it's interesting. We've, we've had, um, I think in our first year, we had something like 21 people become engaged wow. in our restaurant. Wow. And um, which, which feels like an immense honor mm-hmm. for an owner to think that somebody mm-hmm. would want to do that. And, and yet, they, you know, we see them every Friday night or mm. every other week for dinner or brunch, uh, whatever it is. And it becomes what we want. We want to establish, and I don't, I can't imagine that most restaurateurs don't want to establish this, but we're all about um, the way I was raised with food. Um, when somebody walks into my restaurant, and I know this is going to sound terribly corny, I'm inviting them into my house for a meal. Mm-hmm. And I want that meal to be just as warm and friendly yeah. and the service warm and friendly and the feeling warm and friendly as when I ate in my mother's kitchen. Mm-hmm. That's the way I was raised. Yeah. Sounds corny, no. but that's what you want. And if you can establish that feeling, then yes, certainly there are restaurants and, and, and for particular people, a restaurant that has a special meaning. Mm-hmm. Um, but you want that special meaning to be able to be carried through at any time. Yeah. And uh, that's the goal. Yeah. That's the whole goal. So it's why we spend so much time on our staff and really focus on having a staff that passionately cares about how people feel when they're in our space. Yeah. And to me, that's the, that might be the most important thing a restaurant does, even before the food. There's a restaurant in, I believe, Seattle, somewhere near Seattle. Um, I may be butchering the name, uh, Canals or Canalis or something like that. It's been owned by this family for, I think, three generations, and two brothers own it and run it now. They practice the same thing. They know that, uh, and it's a sophisticated restaurant, um, but yeah, what we, could, what we would consider fine dining. However, every reservation that they take, they ask specifically um, what occasion it is, if it's an anniversary, birthday, whatever it is. And they are known to have the best customer service and hospitality uh, of any restaurant. I don't want to say anywhere, but definitely has that reputation uh, because of how well they treat their guests, knowing what they're coming in to celebrate or have dinner for. It's the Danny Meyer philosophy of restaurants. Yeah. And Danny Meyer is the singularly most successful restaurateur in New York City and maybe in the United States uh, because he practices that ethic Mm -hmm. and um, he teaches that ethic and he has disciples like me everywhere uh, not to run the restaurant or be the same restaurant but to be the same environment Mm -hmm. and 
and and the rules for doing that are fairly simple, really hard to implement mm-hmm. consistently every day, day in and day out, segment in, segment out. But the the, the rules are really simple. Yeah, and so um, uh, you you try you aspire. Yeah. To to accomplishing those rules about how you make people feel when they walk in the door and as they sit there and as they leave. It's challenging because it's it's consistently putting others above yourself. Oh, and it's it's always what well, what we say is we always have our guests back. Mm-hmm. Um and uh the you know things happen in restaurants that are uncanny sometimes. Sometimes they're unfortunate. Sometimes you have a bad night. Sometimes your guests has a bad night. Um, but it, all through it, if you're consistently on the side of your guest, on the side of their environment, of their experience, then in the long run, you create that environment that people want to come back to. Hmm. Yeah. I, I've, I've read some of the blog posts that you've made on, on the website. And so I, I, I don't want to say that I have a, an, I have a little bit of an understanding of where this comes from, but tell me about like your, like, when did this start to come into your mind about, um, just having this, having the back of your customers is something you were, you grew up with. Is it something you, well, it's, it's, it's interesting. It came from a few different places and at, and at a few different times mm-hmm. getting into the restaurant business was fortuitous, uh, my good friend Joel Shapiro at the Mr. Shop um, called me one day and said, you know, there's a building for sale in Armory Square, and this was, there was pastas, there was the Mr. Shop, and there was maybe another, uh, maybe a nightclub. Hmm. Not a lot down in Armory Square yet. And um, I love pizza. Mm-hmm. I absolutely love pizza. And I looked at the building and I said, I could put a pizza shop in here. Hmm because there was no inexpensive food in Armory Square. Mm. I mean, relatively. Yeah. And we were, we just had, we made great New York style thin crust pizza mm. and people loved it. And, um, and I, and it was a sort of a false thing in the sense that I opened it up with no experience. Uh, and then, uh, it seemed so easy. I mean, the work was hard. We were, we did most of our business, Thursday, Friday, Saturday night between 10 p.m. and 3 a.m. Mm-hmm. Um, and and then I said, well, I've got a second floor that isn't doing anything. Why don't I open up a restaurant there? Hmm. And what I wanted to open up was a speakeasy-type restaurant that focused on a tequila bar because I love tequila. Hmm. And then that turned into a place that people loved the environment because we did something. We started with a philosophy that... Um, no harm would come to any person that sat at the bar, particularly mm. women. Mm. So we had a zero tolerance rule with the bartenders trained mm. to be aware. What and years was this? This is 1994. Okay. So it's interesting because we've just done a wonderful thing with Vera House and yeah. several other restaurants, Possibilities, mm-hmm. Kitty Hoynes, um, among others, um, to train our staffs in awareness and methodologies for dealing with abusive situations mm. in restaurants. Yeah. But in any event, so 
I got this feeling, and I really loved the feeling that people loved the feeling we created for them hmm. of, of walking in. And I was uh, still practicing law back then, and it got to be too much for me. And I, 2006, closed everything down hmm. and said, when I retire, when I'm able to focus all of my attention on this, hmm. I'll come back to it because it's what I love the most. Mm -hmm. And so... In, in, in uh, 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 2016, when I knew I was close to retiring from what I was then doing, um, I started planning to reopen it. Yeah. And so that's the, that's the skeleton uh, <laughs> of it. Yeah. And it's interesting because we found that uh, a huge number of our original patrons mm -hmm of the stoop who are my age now in their 60s mm -hmm. uh, are coming in with their kids mm. and their kids love it for the same reason that their parents loved it yeah. 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. And so it's all about the environment, in my opinion. I mean, certainly you want to have great food and we, yeah. we certainly want to have great food. Uh, we went from having a little galley kitchen to a fine dining kitchen. Mm. Uh, and... Uh, so, you know, we made it a little bit more complicated. But the second thing that made me love this is when I was a kid growing up on the east side of Syracuse, um, there, was a re there was a bakery called Snowflake Bakery, yeah. which is, has an epic reputation mm -hmm. in Syracuse, even though it's been closed for many years. And I remember the feeling of how I felt when I went with my mom and my dad every Sunday morning to go to the market and then to go to the bakery to get Sunday morning breakfast. And uh, we used to buy whitefish, and then we used to go into the bakery and buy uh, all sorts of wonderful things. <laughs> and I was, it's like being a kid in a candy shop. Yeah. And to me, that represented family. And so when we reopened, I wanted to bring that kind of a bakery to Syracuse. Not that there weren't great, yeah. plenty of good bakeries, uh, that were great at what they did. Mm -hmm. But I wanted to have that bakery where the kid is leaning up against the bakery case, gazing in, you know, wistfully. Yeah. Chris Johnson has that iconic picture from your bakery of his daughter. Yes, yeah. yes. and I thank him every day that he took that picture and, yeah. lets, me, and he lets me use it. So, um, because it captures everything about what we wanted to capture in the bakery. Mm -hmm. So, that's the story. I mean, I grew up in a home where... Everything was done around food. Everything was done around hospitality. Mm -hmm. Everything was done around how have I made somebody feel in my home? Yeah. And I do the best I possibly can every day to try to translate that into the restaurant. What did your parents do for a living? My mother was uh, a painter, um, a pianist, and a homemaker. Hmm. Um, and in a different age, she would have had a very different life. Uh, my father was a dentist. Okay. Uh, but I had no ability with spatial relationships, so I had no interest or ability to go into that. <laughs> I wanted to be an architect. Uh -huh. Couldn't do that either. <laughs> uh, so was your mother making dinner every night? Oh, yeah. She was a traditional, uh, you know, mom. She took care of the house. She lived for her kids. Uh -huh. I had a sister. Um, and she made a home for us that was as warm and loving as anyone could ask for. Did she have a iconic dish that she made, the one thing that the family loved to have for dinner? Well, 
So back then it was very special. We used to have, it was very important. We had liver once a week. We mm. had steak once a week. We had lamb chops. But, you know, in, a, in the Jewish culture, you know, brisket is the ultimate measure. And so, yes, uh, you know, it was always wonderful around the holidays. Any holiday we had brisket mm. and uh, the, a brisket dinner. And it was always, a, you know, with beautiful challah bread. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was, uh, we had that. So you grew up in this culture of not just tradition and routine, it sounds like, uh, but of hospitality, of generosity, of... Oh, we lived. Yeah. You know, when we were eating breakfast, we would say, what's for lunch? <laughs> so, and, and a lot of people may live in that kind of a culture. Yeah. So when we travel, it was, okay, uh, you're eating breakfast, where are we going for dinner? And so food was central to our everyday life. Mm-hmm. And it was the time and place, you know, it was back in the time when, you know, at six o'clock sharp every night, mm-hmm. we ate dinner together as a family. And, you know, something that just doesn't exist anymore on a regular basis. So it was a very important part of our, yeah. our culture as a family. And, it, it, and it's a feeling that we, we, in the restaurant business, we want everybody to have. It's funny, I've never been somebody that was routine like that. And um, my fiance and I, uh, Rebecca, we lived together and we just got a puppy. Congratulations. Uh, thank you. <laughs> yeah, I just got a... Uh, to both of those things. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Uh, and this dog, Buddy, that's his name, keeps everything so routine and scheduled. You know, he gets up at the same time, eats at the same time, goes out at the same time. And we've just been having this conversation lately about, uh, you know, I was, I just asked her the other night, I said, is it going to be this way when we have kids? Is it going to be dinners at this time every night? And she said, well, yeah, of course, you know, you know, they have to have a schedule. And I'm like, but they're kids. You can't, you can't have a schedule. You don't know what's going to happen. And, uh, you know, so it's interesting to hear you say that. Dinner well, it's at the interesting same time. to hear you say that because the fact of the matter is, um, you can have a schedule mm-hmm. because um, you have control. Yeah. You have the control, you whatever control you want to have. Now, we've gone from a period of time, you know, when I was raised, um, there were no soccer moms. There was no going to practice every day with your kid or seeing every game or yeah. whatever it is. It wasn't for lack of love or caring. It was a different culture. Yeah. Well, the needle's gone way in the other direction. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, we've lost something because of that. And parenting is, uh, is the most special, wonderful thing that can happen to a person, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. And you, you have to be parents, which means you have to be in control. And that routine, mm-hmm. which has been lost pretty much in our culture, uh, is... Uh, an important way that discipline can be instilled subconsciously mm-hmm. in people's lives. Um, my parents did a wonderful job of, of raising. We, I'm one of four and grew up in Kentucky and in, here in Syracuse in New York. And mom and dad had a diner when I was a kid. You know, I was about nine or ten years old. They had a 50-style diner. Um but, and dad grew up. My in, favorite, by the way. Yeah. 50 style diner. Yeah. Yeah. 
Uh, but dad grew up in, you know, he went to school for food and beverage and, you know, was in the, that industry. And so there wasn't a lot of, we didn't have much of a routine for that. Well, that's the restaurant business. Really. Yes. And that's obviously if you work the wrong, not the wrong shift, but if you work or shift where you're not going to be home at six o'clock or if you're in a business that requires you to be there all the time, mm-hmm. which is true of a lot of entrepreneurial businesses, um, uh, uh, then obviously there are exceptions. Uh, but the aspiration should be to have something that's an anchor mm-hmm. for the family as a unit, even if it's just Sunday dinner, even if there's something special about that mm-hmm. that people can look forward to and know and they can count on it. It's, you find a way around it because the world is different. Mm-hmm. People work harder. They work more hours today than yeah. they ever did. Uh, for sometimes less pay, yeah, uh, and you have to accommodate it. You try the best you can with mm-hmm. with whatever your circumstances are. You know, I I have a uh, we, my my wife and I adopted a feral rescue cat. Okay, and so um, uh, my cat has a routine, which is that my cat wakes me up at four fifteen a.m. every day, no matter what. <laughs> And, and which is good because that's about the time I get up anyway. But, uh-huh. You know, you can have these outside forces that <laughs> you just don't have any control over. Yeah, without a doubt. I go through, I'm, I'm really grateful for, the, for my upbringing because it's, it's helped me to be able to pivot whenever is needed. An important quality. Very important. And I've learned that, you know, I mean, having, um, you know, I'm 32 at 21. I owned a, my own furniture store here in Syracuse and, and having eat local center New York and the, you know, the advertising portion of that. It's amazing. The things that just from not having necessarily routine growing up, uh, how that's helped me as I've grown older, as different things come up. It's good to, it's helped me to one night stay up till midnight editing a video and getting something ready that has to go out the next morning. And then the next week waking up every day at 5 a.m. and, you know, getting this blog post done or whatever the case is. Well, I'm sitting here shaking my head smiling because I, I agree with you. I mean, I've, I've been an entrepreneur all my life. I started my first business when I was 12. Hmm. And um, the business I started when I was 15, you know, put me through college and law school. Wow. And, and um you know, I, I, I taught at the Whitman School as a pro- professor of entrepreneurship. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's um, entrepreneurs are an incredibly important part of the fabric of our economy. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. um, and we see it every day today, how important they are and how wonderful it is that people have that spirit. But there's a price to pay. Because when you own the company and it's a small company and it's growing, it's inevitable that you have many times when you have to do whatever it takes to make it work. Yeah. And that's a different kind of discipline. Yeah. It's not a clock discipline. It's a different kind of discipline. (laughs) You know, I'm fortunate. Rebecca is the polar opposite of me in that she works for the Department of Health and uh, she's a dietitian. for education and by trade, but she works for the Department of Health, of all things, going in and doing surprise inspections at nursing homes. Mm-hmm. And a really important thing to it, do. Yes. Really, really important thing to do. Yeah. I, it's, you know, it's one of those jobs that she has that's 
you don't necessarily think about until you hear some of the horror stories on the news. But it's amazing just her ability to schedule things for herself, just that rigid schedule that she has, but the progress that she makes. And I couldn't be more proud of her for the job she does and how focused she is with it. It's amazing her wake up at this time, do this, take the dog, go to the gym, you know, dot, 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 dot. Like I said, you know, owning, owning the, the two businesses, it's just all over the place. Well, my discipline is waking up really early mm-hmm. and then hoping to survive all the things that happened that I didn't plan on in the day, which is always <laughs> true in the restaurant business. Yeah, yeah, without a doubt. Um, I mean, here at, you know, working for Kubal, there's seven cafes and, you know, we have this great team that everybody pitches in to help each other, no matter what department it is. And uh, it's amazing the things that happen in a day especially across seven cafes like that. Yeah. The Stoop, it's reopened 2016, right? 2017. 2017. October of 2017. You've put such a large focus. I mean, it seems like you're creating this, the environment there that obviously you had from the past in the 90s when the restaurant was open and also creating this environment that you want, hospitality, generosity. What's your hope for the bakery and for the restaurant going forward? Well, it's interesting. One of the things that we found out, you know, we, the, the restaurant is on two floors. Mm-hmm. The floors are completely different in environmental feeling mm-hmm. in that one is sort of a Soho-type environment on the first floor, and upstairs is the same sort of urban, hip, homey, uh, New York City style, old New York City style, mm. speakeasy type environment, and um, and and being on two floors with the kitchen, a performance kitchen on the second floor, and having a full bakery, retail bakery on the first floor as part of the first floor, we found that it's sometimes confusing for mm. people. Mm. We, you know. They're not really, for a long time, many people, for our first six months, um, most of the people that came in thought we were either a bakery or a restaurant, hmm. but didn't know we were the other. Oh, really? And it was an interesting experience. So we're now, uh, uh, we had a very difficult period between uh, September um, and uh, December of this past year, uh, where we... Uh, uh, lost our original chef that we had, uh, who we had hired to build the r- restaurant around, mm. and then uh, had a series of three other chefs in four mm. months, which created a tumult. And the re- nothing could be worse in the restaurant than inconsistency and uncertainty. Mm-hmm. Um, and during that period, I was hospitalized a couple of times, so it was a very difficult time. Mm-hmm. We're we're considering going we are going through a period of learning uh some rebranding mm-hmm. uh we're taking uh, we've now taken the production bakery out of the basement of the restaurant and we're in the process of moving it and creating a production facility uh at 629 West Fayette Street mm-hmm. four blocks west on West Fayette Street from where the restaurant is we've uh entered into a partnership with uh, Toast of Canastota, wonderful, wonderful ladies yeah. who are 
extraordinary bakers. Yes. We started our bakery with uh, a French master baker uh, who uh, spent time uh, with uh, the, the main uh, pastry baker in mm. uh, uh, viennoiserie, croissant-type pastries mm-hmm. at, at Toast. And, you know, after three days, he said, I don't know why, you know, she's coming here. I don't have anything to teach her. She's already as good as she can be. Maybe I can help her understand more efficiency with the equipment that we have. Hmm. Um, and so we have this great partnership. Uh, uh, and hopefully in the next six weeks or so, the production facility will be open. There will be another retail counter there. Hmm. And we're opening up a uh, what will be a, a fourth retail location um, in another location to soon be announced. Uh, and then our goal is to open up uh, smaller retail locations, not cafes necessarily, but retail locations mm-hmm. across uh, Onondaga, Madison, Cayuga mm-hmm. County, wow. uh, in our confined area until we hit a point where we know, where the production is not so high that it's starting to affect our quality. Yeah. So that's the goal yeah. with the bakery. Now, the bakery cafe that's part of the restaurant is now being merged into the restaurant and now not being considered a separate gotcha. part of the restaurant. And we're considering how we can better utilize the building and make it easier and less complex for people, to mm-hmm. our guests, to understand who we are and also to reintroduce them to consistency. Um, because once you lose consistency in a restaurant, you have to rebuild trust. Do you feel a restaurant should be centered around a specific chef or around a central theme? Well, in our case, those were the same thing. Okay. We hired a specific chef when we opened Mm -hmm. to accomplish a specific menu. Gotcha. And uh, uh, that was, uh, we had the same care as we did hiring the rest of the staff. We didn't want people who who weren't willing to take some risks, who mm-hmm. were tied to old habits. Uh, and um, when that, uh, when our original chef uh, decided to uh, leave and do other things, um, it, it created a vacuum because mm-hmm. there wasn't a ready-made person to fill in something that we spent seven months developing before we opened. Yeah. And so we've had to change uh, our outlook a little bit um, and find a menu that is more balanced between our original goals Mm -hmm. and uh, what we're more likely to be able to find a fine dining. We want to be a casual fine dining restaurant. Mm -hmm. And to me, that has a very specific meaning. It means we're making high-quality food with high-quality ingredients without pretension, Mm-hmm. We are not looking for the most, we want food to be pretty, you always want food to be yeah. pretty, but, but it isn't about the pretty, it's about knowing what it is and having our flavor twist on it and having it be made in high quality with high quality components consistently. Mm-hmm. And so you can come in any way you want to come in, we don't care how you're dressed, um, and we don't ask you to spend $100 on a bottle of wine. Mm-hmm. We have great wine for great prices. And so that, to me, is the casual fine dining model. Where can you go every day, every week, 
every month, whatever it is, when you feel like going out and getting an interesting good meal mm -hmm. that isn't so special that you feel like you have to be dressed up or have to go for a special occasion. Um, and so there's more access to more chefs mm -hmm. who are capable of that and who want to do that. Yeah. And so it's probably a better business model because we're not in New York where there are hundreds of chefs looking for work who can do yeah. that one specific thing. Yeah, correct. You know, you mentioned earlier about not necessarily being a fan of the farm-to-table term. The term. The term. Yeah, correct. The original intent of it is wonderful. But so many restaurants who are labeled farm to table mm -hmm. are not. You know, when it's convenient, mm -hmm. when it's in, when in, what they want to make is in season, they can highlight it. That's great. Um, but farm to table restaurants, real farm to what are real farm to table restaurants? Have to in Syracuse mm -hmm. and in Central New York, we have microclimates. Yeah, which means you have to change your menu every six to eight weeks in order to buy, to have available in your locale what you want to use. Right, or not what you want to use. <coughs> it's the opposite. Most restaurants say, "Here's what I want to serve. I'll make the menu, and then I'll go find the food." In a true farm-to-table restaurant, it's mm -hmm. I know the farmers that I work with, and we work with forty some odd farms. What are they going to be producing in this six to eight week period? And now I can determine what my menu is going to be based upon that. It's incredibly challenging. It's way more expensive. Yeah. Food costs to do your food, probably food costs are at least 20% higher than they are if you don't do it that way. So there are challenges behind the scenes, mm -hmm. or as I say, behind the curtain of the restaurant that people don't really truly uh, have the appreciation for what goes into being that restaurant as opposed to just somebody who says, you know, we buy locally when it's convenient. There's, um, you know, I think of, you mentioned food costs. There's a restaurant owner I'm, I know in uh, Syracuse has one of the lowest food costs I've ever heard of in the industry, but he sits down every week and will change supplier if it means he can save a penny on an egg. And uh, as a result, he has a very efficient, well-run I know some chefs who are able to do that and owners who demand it. And it's, hey, listen, if you can do it, it's great. Not every chef wants to do it. Not oh, every yeah. chef can do it. Um, because the restaurant business is still a business of pennies. Mm -hmm. And the profit margin is increasing. It's increasingly lower and lower and lower. Yeah. Um, people are going to have to learn to understand what it means when servers are getting paid $15 an hour, irrespective of the fact that they might be making two or $300 a night in tips. Um, and um, it's likely to put 20 to 30% of the existing restaurants out of business. You know, we mentioned earlier, you know, I mentioned earlier how I've noticed there's been a standard theme across restaurants, it seems like, for a year. We are talking about, you know, employment being one of the issues from last year. And if there is one this year, obviously it's the hike and minimum wage and even just the small increase that there was. The first hike. Yes, the first hike. The second hike, hike is yeah. coming. Right. 
And I was just having this conversation with someone who was opening a new cafe counter sandwich shop uh, just up the street from here. And they said, we're going to, in order to keep our prices the same, we have to make our portions much smaller because they're known for having these huge sandwiches. And it's the thing that restaurants are going to have to do. They're either going to have to you know, make the portion smaller to keep the prices the same or raise their prices significantly. Well, um, the, the, the fascinating thing is that the, the unions, where there are unions representing servers, mm -hmm. waiters, waitresses, um, are not listening to their constituency because the servers don't want a higher wage. They want to make tips. And, you know, uh, most restaurateurs are watching very carefully those few restaurateurs who have started to take tipping out of the equation mm. and moving it into the retail price of their food. And I think you can do that in New York City. Yeah. I think you can't do it in Syracuse. Right. In order for me to do that in Syracuse, I'd have to charge $28 for a chicken breast mm -hmm. dinner. Yeah. And it just won't fly. Right. And so there's going to be a real push-pull. Syracuse, you know, people um, appreciate a healthy portion mm -hmm. of food in Syracuse, as they should. Mm -hmm. And uh, portioning is another thing. Dropping the quality of your product is, a, is another thing. Um, finding other ways to keep pricing down. But food costs and labor costs are, you know, it's an amazing portion. Mm -hmm. People, people it's, I, you don't want to have this happen, but the reality of it is that most restaurants, most mom and pop restaurants, mm -hmm. not talking about the casual dining chains, yeah. which make money because they have so many in the chain mm -hmm. often, or they have great portion controls, mm -hmm. or they have great buying power, or all of those things. But the mom and pop restaurants, the privately owned restaurants, mm -hmm. um, I, most of them are lucky if they can make an eight percent profit yeah and you work so hard to make a dollar in the restaurant business that that's meaningful mm -hmm. and most people who go into the restaurant business the 80 percent among the 80 percent who fail every year mm -hmm. um they, they go in because they love food because they think they're good at food they think they know what people want and the reality of actually preparing meals every day paying for them paying labor, paying for all the extras, it's overwhelming. Yeah. And um, it's, it's going to be a challenge in the industry over the next three to five years to see who survives. Eric, can't thank you enough for taking the time out of your day to come down and sit with us. It's been fun. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this podcast. I had such a wonderful time having this conversation with Eric about where he grew up and his family's dinner table and the restaurant that he owns and runs here in Syracuse and everything we talked about. I hope you enjoyed listening to the conversation. If you did, it would mean the world to me if you could leave us a review, whatever platform you're listening to this on, hit that button, leave us the review, subscribe to the podcast. It means so much to us and helps us out. 
You can head over to eatlocalcny.com and buy your Eat Local CMY card for $20. It's a reusable coupon for locally owned restaurants where you save $5 when you spend $25 or more at over 90 participating restaurants all around central New York. So head over to eatlocalcny.com and buy your card today.